Hey folks, Hyrulean here, and welcome back to the Switched Podcast. And yes, I've been away for quite some time, but I can explain. I've been absolutely obsessed with the newest God of War game, God of War Ragnarok. And after I did my review back in 2021, I voiced all of these concerns and opinions on what the next game should be like, which we'll get back into here in a moment, and I anxiously join the rest of the God of War fans in waiting for a sequel to that game because I loved it so much. And the game dropped a couple weeks ago at the time of recording this, and it's basically been the only game I've playing, the only form of media I've been consuming. Basically, it's consumed my entire life. And here today, I am going to give you my full review of the game, basically going through nothing but gameplay spoilers for the majority of the podcast, and then we'll do a little after show after the conclusion where I'll share some of my thoughts on the plot points and the story moments from the game as well after the conclusion. So feel free to stick around if you don't care about gameplay spoilers and some locational spoilers. But if you do for some reason, I completely understand and definitely tap away from this podcast now. But before we get into that, a little recap. I played God of War 2018 back in 2021, the year of our Lord and Savior, and I loved it. And I did a review with the caveat that I had to make it very abundantly clear that I had not played God of War 1 through 3 or any of the spin-off games like the ones on the PlayStation Portable, also known as the PSP. And that is still the case. So this review going forward I will probably refer to God of War or the first game quite a bit, but I'm actually talking about God of War 2018 and not the first game that came out back on the PS2. I have absolutely zero experience with those games, and if you're looking for a review that has those games in mind, you'll probably want to find somebody else to listen to because I have no experience with them whatsoever. And I'm kind of treating these two games as if they don't have any lineage or history because personally, I think it works really, really well and these games stand on their own good enough to make them enjoyable even for somebody like me who hasn't played the other God of War games. So all of my review comparisons are going to be compared to two things in this episode. One, God of War 2018 and to the 3D Legend of Zelda games, because I've been very adamant with the first God of War and now God of War Ragnarok that these games play very similarly to Legend of Zelda titles because they're both third-person action-adventure games with some light RPG elements sprinkled in. Obviously, God of War has more RPG elements than Zelda, and even more so in Ragnarok, which we'll get into, but they are very comparable, and I even went as far as to say God of War 2018 was the best Zelda game I had played in years. And with that out of the way, the last things I want to mention is it took me about 40 hours to beat the game, and I completed it on PlayStation 5, So all of my thoughts will be coming from that version of the game as well. I have no knowledge about the PS4 copy. 
that being said, I know Santa Monica and their great first party developer for PlayStation, and I'm sure they did not leave PlayStation 4 players hanging. At least it probably runs better and looks better than Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, so you shouldn't have to worry about anything like that at least if you do want to play it on your last gen peasant console, the PlayStation 4. No actual shade to anybody with the PlayStation 4, by the way. As of right now, this is one of the, like, the first three games that I've got for my PS5, and otherwise I've just been playing PS4 games on it anyway, but enough rambling, folks. Let's get into this review, starting us off with a little recap of my God of War 2018 review back in 2021. So back in 2021, the year of our Lord and Savior, I actually played God of War 2018 throughout the year. I played like the first chunk of the game for the first half of 2021, took a break and played probably Ghost of Tsushima and some other games, and eventually came back only for my PlayStation 5 controller to break after just you know, a handful of hours of playing. I was actually really pissed off about it, and I kind of ranted about it in my review, but I eventually got back into the game after getting my PlayStation controller back from being repaired, and I decided to restart, and I basically beat the whole game in one week. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. If I recall from my previous review, which I did take some notes to make sure I remembered uh, what my thoughts were, I found God of War 2018 to be an excellent open zone exploration game with plenty of content, plenty of decent puzzles, and excellent combat, and a pretty decent story to boot as well. But my main complaint with the story was I felt that it kind of just ended, and it felt like a sequel was needed to kind of give the story a conclusion. Typically, I'm more of a fan of games in a series having a solid conclusion and then the sequel picks up uh, where the previous game left off and introduces new conflict, but God of War 2018 was very much a game that kind of didn't really have a conclusive ending. You just kind of fought the final boss, had some lower bombshells dropped on you, and then the game ended. And... It ended on some pretty big cliffhangers as well, so I went into God of War Ragnarok expecting the game to be way bigger and to tie up some of those loose ends that I had uh, been left with from God of War 2018, and we'll see if I actually had that be the case or not when we get into the review of the game. Um, something that I also mentioned is I really wanted Ragnarok to feature uh, save transferring, so all of my items and armors and progression and such from God of War 2018 would be transferred over. I thought it would be a decent way of them to kind of keep that story going without me having to kind of build back up in terms of power. And they didn't end up doing that, but what they ended up doing instead is basically you start off more powered up than you did in the first game, and they very quickly give you a lot of your original game's options back, 
and then start building on it. I'd say it's probably within the first five hours you are already as powerful as you were at the end of God of War 2018. So they did a pretty good job bringing back up Kratos' power fast enough to make the game not feel tedious in any way. My main complaint with the game itself, though, however, was to do with the side content feeling fairly meaningless. And the reason for that is, basically every single side quest in the game would give you some sort of power for your axe or for your blades, or some special armor pieces and stuff like that, and it basically acted as a means to reward you for exploring and doing side quests by making you more powerful. And it got to the point where by the end of the game, on medium difficulty, I was so powerful that the final boss literally took me two tries, and that was after the fact that many of the other mini-bosses took me significantly more tries and were significantly more challenging. So in a sense, by completing all of this side content that I did in God of War 2018, I was rewarded with an easier final boss and that was not what I wanted. I wanted something that was going to test me and something that was going to be difficult and unfortunately I had gotten so powered up from all of the side quests that I've done in God of War 2018 that I was not that weak against the final boss. I actually basically steamrolled the final boss and then the game just kind of ended. So what was otherwise an amazing experience ended up leaving a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because of the fact that it ended up being so easy right at the very end after being somewhat difficult throughout. So that was basically my main complaint and we'll see if that gets improved here in God of War Ragnarok. And some of my wish list items for God of War Ragnarok included the fact that it would be a direct continuation and I wouldn't have to repower up my Kratos because I wanted it to be worth it that I did all the side quests. And also I wanted to kill a ton of gods because it was basically already confirmed when I finished God of War 2018 that it would be a game about Ragnarok, so I assumed that I would be killing tons of gods in this massive war. Also, I wanted the game to be more difficult for obvious reasons, and I probably could have just turned up the difficulty as well, but I went into Ragnarok at medium again, so I could more easily compare it to God of War 2018's medium difficulty, and give kind of a more straightforward, thoughtful review in that regard, because I feel like most people, myself included, just play on medium anyway. Um, I wanted more of a driving narrative, because God of War 2018 was kind of just like, we need to get Mom's ashes to the highest peak, let's go here. Oh no, this path's blocked, let's go here. Oh no, this path's blocked, let's go here. I wanted more. I wanted a more comprehensive story. The game already had excellent characters, and I just kind of wanted their story to be a little more complex. And I also wanted a conclusive ending that tied up the loose ends from the first game. All of my complaints aside, however, I really, really enjoyed God of War 2018. And I don't ever think I put a number on the game, but if I had to now, I would probably say it was a solid 8 out of 10. 
just some minor improvements needed to make it great and almost perfect. So it goes without saying, I was obviously really excited to get into God of War Ragnarok, and I was very hopeful that my few complaints would be addressed and it would be a significantly better game because of it. And I'll tell you right now, a little bit of a spoiler, they were addressed. This game is significantly better than God of War 2018. Let's talk about why. Alrighty folks, starting off our journey of covering God of War Ragnarok is the story. And I'm going to touch upon some things that happened in God of War 2018 here. So obviously, if you haven't played God of War 2018 and you don't want spoilers, click off now. I don't know why you decided to listen to a review of the sequel without having played the original if you were scared about spoilers, but, you know, that's your own prerogative. Thanks for clicking either way, but here we go. Um, story. So, uh, three years after the events of God of War 2018, after the death of Baldur, Kratos and his son Atreus, revealed to be Loki, are attempting to survive Fimblewinter. And Fimblewinter is essentially this never-ending winter that was initiated when Kratos and his son killed Baldur, uh, because Baldur being killed is the first basic thing that leads to Ragnarok, which of course is the title of the game, so it makes sense that we're starting to see some of the effects of their careless actions in the first game. Um, Atreus is basically just like kind of mourning a dead wolf and Mimir is there as well I should mention uh, still you know hanging around pun intended and essentially the situation that they're in is every single time they leave their forest where they have the protective circle uh, they are constantly being attacked by Freya their former ally from God of War 2018 because if you recall, Baldur was going to kill Freya. So Kratos killed Baldur to stop him from killing Freya. Well, Baldur happened to be Freya's son. So naturally, Freya was pissed off because Kratos killed Baldur. And even though he did it to defend her, he became her mortal enemy because he killed her son. So naturally, every single time they leave the woods, Freya is trying to kill them for retribution for the death of her son. Um, and basically, after escaping from her and getting back to the house on the dog sled, uh, they receive a random visit from Thor and Odin on this particular day. And essentially, Odin offers them complete amnesty from the fact that they killed Baldur. Uh, and in exchange, they'll come work for him and come to Asgard and live with him. And, of course, Mimir, having worked for Odin before and knowing how treacherous he can be, reminds Kratos that it's a bad idea to join him, but fortunately Kratos had already decided that they were not going to be joining him. And basically, they tell him, no, no way we're joining you 
fuck off, and Odin leaves, but Thor remains, and Thor basically says that he didn't, he really didn't want to do this, and he throws Mjolnir, his massive hammer, at Kratos, sending him flying, and we have our first boss fight and tutorial, and it's Kratos versus Thor, and essentially, uh, this boss fight, if you die, it's really badass, actually. Thor puts his hammer on your chest and basically defibrillates you to bring you back to life. And you have to keep fighting him until you kind of remember how to play the game and basically are able to beat him. And there are some tutorials, but it's definitely significantly less handholdy and slow to start than God of War 2018. They kind of know that realistically you're probably not going to be playing this game first so they just drop you right in and you're expected to start the combat start picking it back up and even though you're a little rusty you got this one boss fight to kind of get your bearings back and kind of remember everything about how the combat works um, but basically you manage to defeat Thor but not kill Thor you just manage to stop him and he ends up retreating and so quickly Kratos returns back to the house and explains to Atreus that they need to get the fuck out of there because there's like, you know, Odin and Thor and they know where they live and they can get to them. So uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing this intro, by the way, this isn't the full everything that happened. I'm skipping some stuff that happened that wasn't quite as important yet, but... Uh, I'm just setting up the intro here. And basically, their friends, Brock and Sindri, arrive and offer to let them stay at their place while they gather their bearings and kind of decide what they're going to do to prepare themselves in case Ragnarok comes and also how they're going to try and stop Ragnarok from coming. Because naturally, Kratos being the god of war, does not mean that he actually wants there to be a war. He is long past his war phase, and he wants no war whatsoever. And so the big setup for the game, the TLDR, skipping past everything else that happened in between, is Kratos and his son are basically unsure what to do and how to prepare for the possible war. So they go ahead and seek out prophecy and allies in an attempt to basically be prepared for the inevitable and be prepared for what could come and attempt to prevent what could come as well. And the big strife here is the reason they are preparing for this war and trying to prevent this war is because in the three-year gap, Atreus has become increasingly rebellious and he actually went out and tried to learn some more about himself from the world, and he managed to find a prophecy basically stating how Ragnarok is gonna start, and he found some secret prophecy stuff as well, and he basically went behind his father's back, and he has this whole plan that he's executing behind his father's back. So not only are we running through this whole like fate versus prophecy, storyline we're also basically seeing the evolution of Kratos and his son's relationship as they sort of 
grow older and Atreus starts to become more independent and he starts to have a desire to basically know what his future is going to hold and kind of learn what his purpose is amongst the Norse mythology. Because if you recall what I mentioned earlier, at the end of the previous game, they lore dumped onto us right at the very end that Atreus's name in the Norse mythology is Loki, and he wants to know what that means for him. So basically what I just explained is the first two hours or so of the game, and I left some important key details out in an attempt to avoid spoilers, so there are some more plot points in there that drive the story forward and make things very, very interesting, but I'm going to leave those for you to hear uh, when you play the game for yourself or at the very end of the podcast, because again, after the conclusion, I'm going to go through some specific plot points from the game and kind of give my thoughts and opinions on them. So that's the general setup for the story. Alrighty, folks, let's go on and talk about the gameplay now. I know you guys are wondering what Ragnarok is actually like to play, so I'm going to share that in this section, and do be warned, there will be some gameplay spoilers in here about uh, possible new weapons and abilities. I might mention some specific things, and I might also mention a major gameplay mechanic that is kind of a bit of a spoiler for about four hours into the game, so if you don't want any gameplay-related stuff spoiled, this is your warning to click off. Again, I'm going to periodically do this throughout the podcast, but either way, let's get into it. Starting off with the discussion about how the game is open zone, because I feel like a lot of people don't really know what open zone is. Open zone is essentially a series of smaller open worlds rather than having strictly a large open world like you'd find in a lot of games. God of War and God of War Ragnarok use open zone worlds in order to give the player sort of like a freedom to explore but in a more limited and linear stance. You can sort of think of it like Basically, one hub is connected to a bunch of smaller hubs, and those smaller hubs have paths shooting off of them that have various collectibles or points of interest or mini dungeons, that kind of thing. And it's really refreshing to see it in a big budget game like this. Uh, The only two other games in recent memory that I can remember doing this are... Uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus and Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. And basically, both of those games had the same kind of thing. You traveled from the hub to a different hub, and you could kind of explore that different area, and there was different stuff to see. And God of War uses this sort of hubs feature to basically keep you on track when you're focusing on the story and let you go nuts and explore when you are not. And that is a huge part of the game. Basically, the way that the main gameplay works is by progressing in the main story, you will travel across Midgard and also across 
all of the nine realms. Yes, they boast on the side of the box that you can explore all nine realms in this game, but we'll get into how that's kind of, you know, with an asterisk later on. But basically, uh, the main story missions will take you to these different places and then eventually let you loose to explore. It's funny because your companion characters will even sometimes, like, say out loud, like, hey, maybe we should not continue straight to the main story area and go do some exploring instead. And that's kind of your cue that either you've unlocked a area, an area to explore recently, or you're about to do something that's going to lock you out of exploring for a while, so you better do it if you want to. And these side areas are really impressive because some of them can take you upwards of 30 minutes to complete, and others can take you upwards of three hours to complete. And most of the content in the side areas is 100% optional, and if you just want to bum rush straight to the main objective, you can, and the game will not stop you. But please note that the companion characters will constantly remind you, hey, you know, we don't have to go straight to this place, we can go explore a little. You just have to ignore them if you want to just bum rush the entire game, but I highly recommend exploring the world because it is so much fun in God of War Ragnarok. They significantly improved the fun of exploring in this game compared to the 2018 version because rather than having like one hub world aka Midgar and the Lake of Nine and then a bunch of paths leading off of it that are basically linear paths that have treasure at the end you instead have paths that lead to other hubs that have different paths. So rather than being like a spider web with one central point, it's more like a spider web that has one point that leads to another point that leads to another point. And you can really get into the nitty gritty of this game and you can explore some areas very thoroughly and find some really interesting stuff and do some really interesting things and see some really breathtaking areas that are completely optional and you don't have to play them but the game rewards you in numerous ways for seeking these extra areas out and actually taking the time to experience them and I love it and they seriously brought what was probably just decent exploring and decent reward for exploration into the realm of some of the best exploration and some of the best rewards for exploration that I've seen in any video game ever. I honestly love the whole open zone concept too because it's the perfect size. Everything is reasonably explorable without feeling like you're cut off from a bunch of areas you want to explore and it's not so overwhelmingly large and so overwhelmingly big that you get lost. You can sweep most of the areas and you can do everything there is to do in a reasonable amount of time and there was only one time where I felt overwhelmed with how large the area was 
But then that area turned up uh, turned out to be one of my favorite areas in the entire game, which again, we'll get into that. I don't want to spoil that just yet, but I really, really liked the exploration in this game. And to make matters even better, they sort of removed the number of barriers blocking you. In the first game, it was very Zelda-ish in the fact that basically you would explore a new area, and if you were early, you would be able to complete the quest, but you would run into all these locked doors or special chests or special, you know, uh, walls that you can get rid of that you can't currently use because you don't have the correct items. So you'd have to remember to go back to the area when you have the correct items. And Ragnarok does this significantly less. There are still some of that kind of gameplay, which I don't think is a bad thing, and I do like uh, having to remember to backtrack to certain areas. But in this game, I felt like you weren't kind of slapped on the wrist for exploring too early. Like, you were pretty much kitted out to explore the entire area you unlocked as soon as it unlocks, minus a couple things. And the way they handled this Zelda-style, uh-oh, you don't have this kind of item to do this kind of thing yet, so you can't progress, is basically there's one big gate, and this one big gate will only be openable if you have this certain item. And then everything before that gate is fully explorable and fully completable at your current level. And then once you get one item, you'll be able to unlock that one gate, and then you'll have a whole other area which is fully completable as well. So basically, rather than um, rather than locking certain objects away in an area. They lock certain areas away uh, with an object instead. So essentially, you're encouraged to explore and complete whatever you want, and eventually you can remember to come back and you'll unlock an even bigger area to explore. It's that kind of thing. And it's brilliant. They seriously did such a good job with the exploration and world, you know, building and exploring and puzzle solving and everything that they added in this game as far as puzzle solving too is really, really good. Everything is really straightforward and not super hard to understand and just great, honestly. I have no complaints when it comes to world exploration Game devs should really take note because God of War Ragnarok proves that we don't need these massive open worlds in order for games to be fun to explore. We can have plenty of adventures in smaller, more curated areas, and honestly, it was so much fun to explore. So the world and exploration is phenomenal in God of War Ragnarok. go back and listen to the recording after I finish recording it for this podcast because it kind of goes against my whole low effort car conversation theme that this show has. 
Uh, but I happened to click on the last segment and accidentally play it. And I discovered that I peaked the microphone multiple times throughout that segment. So I apologize for that, folks. Hopefully it wasn't too distracting or too annoying. Just remember what you got yourself into by clicking on this podcast. But anyway, let's continue on here and talk about the puzzles, collectibles, and side content to be found in God of War Ragnarok. Starting us off are the puzzles. Puzzles are basically completely dependent on the realm that you're in. Similarly to God of War 2018, most of those puzzles return, like having to uh, activate the light crystals, and also like uh, the puzzles from Vanaheim, where you have to throw your axe and destroy all of the like mold, like spore growth things in one throw in order to unlock a path. But there's also new elements thrown into the mix as well. And I'm going to spoil two from Vanaheim here. So the first one is this quartz crystal where you have to throw your axe at the quartz crystal. And basically what happens is the quartz crystal reflects your axe back like a boomerang. So you can essentially throw it in one throw and defeat all of those spore mold things from the first game, but in more advanced ways. So rather than just being able to line up a shot and hit three at once, you can hit many, many, many more spores in one hit by aiming your axe so it hits three spores and then a crystal, and that crystal bounces it through three more spores and another crystal, and then three more spores and another crystal, taking out like nine in total to unlock the next area. So it's a far more complex puzzle, and it requires you to be a lot more exact with the accuracy of your throws, which is really, really great. Honestly, it was nice to see them take a previous puzzle from the first God of War reboot game and kind of just spruce it up with some fresh ideas. I really like that concept. And uh, likewise, I also really liked what they did with this geyser section where basically you have to throw your axe at these geysers to freeze them. And that allows you to like redirect water and stuff like that. I thought that was really neat as well. The last new and interesting puzzle mechanic that I wanted to mention is this whole thing with these runic arrows where basically your companion can shoot uh, these purple arrows that basically create area of effects to transfer elemental effects. So for example, you could shoot one of these runic arrows at one of those cog wheels and if you throw your axe at it to freeze it it'll stay frozen after you recall your axe so again that allows it to increase the amount of variety that can be done with the previous stuff for puzzles from the previous game because those spinning cogs that you have to freeze were used a lot in god of war 2018 for its puzzles and the runic arrows do a lot more than that too like there's these chests where you have to light three, uh, like, cauldrons of wood in order to open them. And in the first game, you would just light the three cauldrons of wood and that would be it. Sometimes they'd have you 
uh, blow something up next to it to light it up. But in this game, they can be completely unreachable, but you can shoot these ruinic arrows on the terrain and then light the terrain on fire in one spot with your blades and that fire will then spread around the corner to the brazier. It's like a little more variety for those puzzles from the first game that make the puzzles far more thought-provoking and far more interesting and I really really think this was a good approach and I think it will benefit uh, players of the first game very well because it takes their already existent understanding reaffirms it and then gives them a little more challenge overall the puzzles in God of War Ragnarok were mostly easier and there were far less of them but the ones that were there were usually more thought-provoking and actually substantial and there were even some ones that were pretty thumping for a little bit not too long just the right amount of thumping to make you think and I really really liked them they did a great job with the puzzles in God of War Ragnarok and again it's another situation where they improved on the foundation from God of War 2018 and then just kind of made it even better from there like added some new interesting ideas into the mix to make the puzzles feel fresh or more complex or more meaningful if you will so from there let's move on and talk about collectibles basically collectibles are more or less like a set of things that you can collect to uh, receive like an experience bonus for example let's say you're going around this area collecting eight pieces of poetry from this one poet. Uh, after you collect each one, you'll get a little bit of experience. You can get a lot of experience for completing the set, and you can sell all the poems in order to get a ton of money for the shop. I ended God of War Ragnarok with so much money I didn't know what to do with it because I was finding all these little collectibles. And the poems is just one example. There's also like artifacts and uh, like God, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, offerings to the gods and stuff like that. All these collectibles are essentially the same though and there's some dialogue and some lore and it's nice. My only real complaint about these though are they were a little like basic in terms of like how they looked in the game and they were a lot less interesting than some of the other possible awards uh, you could get for completing like quests or clearing out an area and thankfully the game only made them the main reward a few times otherwise it was the more interesting and more useful loots being used as the rewards otherwise so these didn't overstay their welcome too much and i already mentioned the chests with the brazers there's also multiple other types of i think they're called like nornir chests that have to be opened with different means uh, but i won't really spoil any of those and there's other types of chests as well there's the locked ones there's the big ones that aren't locked there's smaller chests with uh like some 
more extensive loot in them, and then there's even smaller chests that usually just have some money, and Kratos smashes the top of them open with his fists rather than opening the chest, which is really satisfying. And those are some of our collectibles. There's also, like, lore markers you can find where you can read a little blurb about some of the history of the area that somebody wrote down on a piece of paper for some reason, and there's also, like, these big stone tablets and... Uh, also, sometimes people just randomly write a few words on the wall, and you can read those as well. But those are sort of all of the main collectibles in the open zone, if you will. And other than that, I wanted to talk about a few of the side activities that you can do. I'm not going to get into all of them. I do want to kind of keep something in there as a mystery but we will discuss some. Uh, first off, o Odin's Ravens from the first game make a return, and they were far easier to find, it seems. Basically, you'll hear the sound cue of the raven's call, and then you start looking around and you see that glowing green raven, and you have to throw your axe to kill it. And then basically for every X amount you collect, you can go to this area to unlock a new item or ability. And some of the best abilities in the game as far as being used for your weapons were locked behind these ravens. So make sure if you see them, you kill them. They made the ravens far more compelling to actually track down and find in this game. And they were significantly easier to spot, so I had a good time tracking them down. I managed to track down almost all of them just through playing the game. And after I beat the game, I only had to go back and find like two that I somehow missed. But then I got all the stuff from those, so that was all good fun. Um, there's also the Berserkers. And the Berserkers are unlocked through playing the game as well and doing a side quest. And essentially, the Berserkers are the replacement for the Valkyries, because in God of War, there was these really difficult fights uh, where basically Kratos and his son had to stop the Valkyries and basically kill them to set their souls free because they'd been corrupted by Odin. And the new version of that are these Berserkers, and you have to go to these Berserker gravestones, and then they'll pop out of the gravestones, and you have to fight them and kill them to free their souls because they're still trapped to the realms rather than getting to go to Valhalla or Hell or wherever they're supposed to go. And these Berserker fights overall, the vast majority of them were easier than the Valkyries and more repetitive than the Valkyries, but there were some that were even harder than some of the Valkyrie fights, I swear, but I managed to do about 80% of them in my playthrough. I don't know if I'll go back and finish them or not. We'll have to see. Uh, they sort of start to border the line of frustratingly hard for me. And one thing that I really like about God of War is how it's not as hard as, say, a Dark Souls game or Elden Ring or any of those. And those fights start to borderline be like uh, Dark Souls, Elden Ring type fights and I don't really enjoy them as much but that's a difficulty thing if you like that extra difficulty you'll probably like the berserker fights because they are good fun one of the collectible side quest things that are more lame 
are these flowers, basically. There's nine realms, and there's nine different flowers for you to find. And I could not bring myself to having any desire to complete this, so I have no clue if the reward is actually worth it or not. I think I got six out of the nine of them just from playing the game. But I didn't have any desire to go try and find the rest of them because I couldn't really care that much. Um, and another thing is the Moosefulheim, like, arena-style mode is back. The whole, like, gauntlet of having to fight through waves of enemies and stuff has returned. And this was another situation where I was like, eh, I don't really care too much about these non-story-related combat encounters. And even though the combat is probably some of the best combat in any video game ever, I just kind of wanted to finish the story, so I have not done much with the arenas yet. And they removed that arena-style area uh, where you could do, like, the whole, like, roguelike thing from the first God of War reboot game, so if you're anything like me and didn't care to actually finish that, it did not return in this game which is a godsend, to be honest with you. I really could not give in a shit less about that roguelike area. It was just difficult, and it was not very fun, and it seemed like a lot of the rewards were not really worth it. So, do with that information what you will. But yeah, there's far more side content and things to do than I mentioned in this segment alone. I just wanted to highlight some of the best and the worst, but... Each realm in general has some special side content that's not included in the rest of the realms, too, so... Uh, you'll probably find something that'll interest you, or something that's a little bit different if you do play the game, because there really is a lot of side content here. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to talk about the combat. The moment you've all been waiting for. It's crucial that I express one final time. In this section, not only am I going to be spoiling all of the possible weapons Kratos could use in the game, I'm also going to be spoiling some insane new combat-related mechanics that also happened to spoil a major part of the gameplay and story for this game. Uh, and this is something that gets revealed about five hours in, so... If you want to avoid all of the spoilers for the game, definitely click off now. If you don't care about some gameplay spoilers, some pretty big ones at that, carry on, because we're gonna get into it now. So in God of War 2018, Kratos just had his Leviathan Axe for most of the game, which was essentially an ice axe given to him by his wife, and he could basically do a light attack and a heavy attack, as well as a light special ability, a heavy special ability, and he could also do a light throw and a heavy throw, and that's on top of the fact that he had skill trees for pretty much every aspect of his attacking, including doing different combos by doing like a light attack, light attack, heavy attack, light attack to do a certain move, 
or a light attack, light attack, wait, and then another light attack, you know, stuff like that. You get proper, like, fighting game-style combos eventually through the skill trees uh, when it comes to the weapons in God of War 2018. And all of that returned in a major way. The light attacks, the heavy attacks, the light specials, the heavy specials, the light throws, the heavy throws. And for the axe, that's basically all the same. And the same goes for the Chaos Blades, which, spoiler for 2018, are given to you about 75% of the way through the game. Kratos decides enough's enough and shit has hit the fan, so he goes and he pulls out his old iconic chain blades, and for the rest of the game he fights with those as well. And so you get this combo of fire and ice. And the chain blades have all of the same stuff that you can do with the axe, but obviously it, it has different benefits and drawbacks and different ranges. But you still have a light attack, a heavy attack, a light special, a heavy special, a light throw, a heavy throw, and then combos and stuff that you can unlock through the skill trees. So those are the two main weapons from God of War 2018 that make a return in God of War Ragnarok. They control more or less the same, but they did introduce some new abilities in the skill trees, which was always nice to see. And the way that they unlocked the abilities, I was very, very satisfied with. I was really concerned because when I did my God of War 2018 review, as I mentioned during the recap at the beginning of the episode, I wanted them to carry over all of your abilities and all of your like skill tree stuff. And to be honest with you, they don't do that whatsoever. You start the game with the axe, but the game very quickly gives you back the blades and you have both again. And essentially, after you get to that point, you are more or less back to square one. But very quickly, you unlock some of the later game abilities from God of War 2018. And they also let you pick between two different sets of armor that are very reminiscent to late game armor from God of War 2018. Plus, there's pre-order bonuses that allow you to get other armor sets very early on that are close to the ones from the late game of God of War 2018. So they don't necessarily leave you completely in the dark without any of your old abilities that you got in 2018. So that was good to see. That being said, very much it was not the case that you got everything back right away. I did manage to find my old favorite ability for the axe, which was essentially an ability that let me cast an ice beam out of the axe to do mass damage to one enemy over a period of time as long as I was shooting the beam at them, but they nerfed the hell out of it. So very quickly I switched up and started using some different abilities, some of the new abilities introduced in God of War Ragnarok, and I really, really like them. Uh, the light abilities and heavy abilities are on a cooldown, and there's also tons of new stuff with shields. Uh, shields essentially now are completely customizable. In God of War 2018, there was one shield, and you were basically stuck with it. And basically in Ragnarok, you can choose between multiple different types of shields, and then they have different types of... Bronze, I believe they're called, which is the circle part in the middle, 
and you can swap them out and they allow you to have different abilities on your shield. For example, there might be a shield where if you do a perfect parry with your shield, it'll slow time for a second, or you'll gain a little bit of health, or that kind of thing. Really, really good stuff. In addition to the shield and everything I mentioned with the weapons, there's also an ability that you can add, I don't remember what they call it exactly, but basically it's activated by holding left bumper and then pressing circle, and that can do a multitude of different effects during combat or outside of combat. Uh, but what I had it bound to basically the entire game was just a 10 second strength buff, and it made my attacks really, really, really good. And I coupled that with this new thing that they added where basically after you get a certain amount of swings in without getting hit, you can hold left bumper and triangle to power up your weapon. And in the case of the ice axe, it like gets frost or whatever, and the uh, chaos blades, they gain fire, that kind of thing. And if you pair that with the other ability that I mentioned that gives you 10 seconds of strength before, you get way, way, way higher amounts of strength. And that's kind of my kit that I use to get through the game. And I used the weapons as follows. If I needed something to damage one enemy more, more like quickly, I guess you could say, axe all the way. One enemy, like a one-on-one -on -one situation, it was always the axe because the axe does more damage and it hits harder. Even if you do the light attacks, you're doing a lot more damage than with the blades. The blades were a must for a group or an enemy that was really far away. Uh, what I really liked that you can do in the game is you can throw your blade at the enemy and if you do, it'll connect to them and you can choose to pull yourself to the enemy or launch them into the air. And when you launch them into the air, you can also pull them to the ground to smash them into the ground or you can throw your blades to make them explode with fire and hurt the enemy, which was really, really fun. Chaos Blades, honestly, were significantly more fun for me personally in this game. I think I just found some better abilities and I got to level them up more, so I had a lot better time with them and they were a lot more fun. And the big addition here is a new weapon and this is kind of a later game spoiler. I want to say this is a weapon you get in the last 75 per like you get it about the same time you got the blades in the first game so about 75 percent of the way through Ragnarok but I am going to spoil it here it's a spear and the spear is essentially your third weapon just using your fists is another option and I've seen people do it but I'm gonna kind of ignore it because it's not as like you know useful as I would hope that it would be and it's not really like another weapon, so I'm just going to kind of gloss over that. But it is an option, and you can build your rage faster if you use your fists. But the spear is really interesting. So the spear is faster than the blades, but it's really only good early on for one enemy at a time. So it's the benefit of the speed of the blades, but more focused on one person instead of the whole group like the blades so really interesting versatility thing for kratos to have and essentially the spear has light heavy uh you know your light ability heavy ability and then light throw and there's is there a heavy throw i 
don't recall for sure. But either way, throwing the spears allows them to get embedded in the enemy and you can make them explode, which is really cool. And it's also useful for different gameplay mechanics, which I'm not going to get into, but it's really, really good stuff. And the spear was fun, but it was kind of the same situation as the blades. I got it late enough in the game that I did not focus on it very much at all. But the spear is significantly more effective against certain enemies, so I did get a decent amount of time with it in. I probably ended up with like 40, 40, 20. 40 for the hand, or 40 for the axe, 40 for the blades, and 20 for the spear in a percentage of time that I actually used them. But that being said, the spear was still very fun, and it's really cool how you get it and all that kind of stuff. And some of the abilities you can get for it are really sweet too. Uh, there's like one where it's just a rush of quick spear attacks, kind of like Link's uh, perfect dodge spear attack in Breath of the Wild. Really, really fun stuff. But those are the three weapons, and they are all really fun. And in the first game, I kind of just focused on one weapon per encounter, but in this game, I found myself switching out a lot more because I wanted to take advantage of all of those abilities and they're constantly throwing different enemies with uh, different elemental shields and so you have to switch in order to uh, take down their shield and then you can attack them normally. So really, really good stuff. They did a good job of making you feel inclined to use all the weapons and it felt fun switching between the weapons. So all praise here from me. And of course, I didn't really touch upon it, but parries are in the game. Uh, perfect parry will allow you to basically negate damage and do a little bit of damage to the enemy. There are, new to this game, I think, these two blue circles that'll appear around enemies when they're blocking, and you can shield bash them to break their block, which is super fun. And certain ones of the new shields will allow you to make the enemy explode if you perfect parry them or if you double tap to shield bash them. Really, really fun. Highly recommend checking out the shields. If you play the game, Like, make sure you are constantly looking at your shields and thinking about what you want to do for your kit and that kind of thing because they're really fun to switch out and try out different ones and see what you can do with them. Highly, highly entertaining. I loved the shields mechanic in this game. Um, and of course, your Spartan Rage is back. The Rage Meter fills as you take damage, or if you beat the shit out of people with your fist, you gain Rage as well. And the new thing with the Rage is, instead of just having the Rage where you beat the shit out of people and expend the meter, there's also like Spartan Valor, which can basically be used to give you a quick, short burst of health. Uh, which I ended up kind of just using all the time in the game instead of using the old Rage one. And then there's also another one that I barely used at all that essentially allows you to expel some of your Rage meter to uh, get like one souped up strong attack, which I imagine could have been really useful uh, combined with my boosted strength abilities that I had, but you know, I never thought to do that. Maybe if I pick up the game to do some of the side content that I missed, I'll try that out, but I mostly just stuck with Spartan Valor so I could burst regen health, because one thing you can do as well is you can actually unlock an ability for that ability 
that makes it so if you toggle the health regeneration right as an enemy's about to hit you, basically in the same window as a parry, you'll gain a boost of strength and you'll be able to heal. So it's basically like a parry with a heal included. And that was really, really fun. And I ended up sticking with that for most of the game because I found it so useful. Uh, but that's the Spartan Rage slash Spartan Valor slash Spartan whatever they call the other one. Now on to the Companions. So uh, the game very similarly to the first game allows you to command your companion, aka Atreus, and you can shoot different arrows of different types and also summon some spectral animals or use some other type of ability that you can equip. Uh, all that is fine and well, except I said companions. I actually figured this out before it happened because of the fact that the menus said companion and not Atreus like in the first game. But there are parts of this game where you are not accompanied by Atreus and instead have different companions. And these companions can have completely different abilities or just essentially have archery like Atreus. But their holding square ability, like where Atreus would have summoning some sort of a spectral animal or something, is usually completely different. And there are two different companions you can get where they don't have bow and arrows whatsoever. So really, really good stuff. Don't want to say too much more about that. But one thing I will say is there's another character. You, this is the biggest spoiler probably for the first five hours of the game. You play as somebody other than Kratos. I'm not going to straight up say who, but I will tell you that it involves archery. And basically, you can do light and heavy attacks melee with your bow by swinging it at people. And then there's also uh, light attacks for shooting your arrows, which replaces throwing something, like when you're playing as Kratos. And those just do basic arrows, and you're rewarded for headshots. And then there's also heavy shooting your bow, which will allow you to use your magical arrows. Uh, which is super handy for kind of comboing enemies with different magical effects. So, really, really neat stuff. And playing as this other character, you also have different light and heavy abilities and that kind of thing. And there's a whole nother skill tree for you to use. So, I'll let you play the game to figure out who it is. You probably already figured it out. But there's a whole nother character that you play for for probably about 25% of the game and you are able to have all sorts of different abilities and leveling up and armor and uh, that kind of thing with this character. So that's something you have to look forward to as well if you play the game. And honestly, they really fleshed out having your companion characters. You can give them all sorts of different armor and you can even swap out their weapons themselves. And I had such a fun time with the companions in the game, they really fleshed out that whole system, especially for combat in a major way. And it just felt really, really good and really, really enjoyable. Um, and I also wanna briefly touch upon armor and this amulet thing, even though they're kind of hard to explain, so try and bear with me. So the armor system is back from God of War 2018. And essentially, rather than slotting things into the armor 
they instead give you an amulet that can have tons of slots and it's basically condensing all of these different armor slots into one item that you slot a bunch of things into instead to make the menu more simpler. So the armor system in general is quite a bit simpler but I would consider it more streamlined than simple if that makes any sense. In this amulet you have all these different things you can slot into it and they give you different buffs to your stats and that's a whole last thing that I'm not really going to get into because there's lots to customize and lots to change about that. But you sort of get the idea. Similar thing to God of War 2018, just a different way of doing it. We're essentially slotting in the Gem of Vanaheim will give you a boost to like this stat and this stat and this stat. Or you can slot in the Gem of Svartalheim and you get this stat and this stat boosted instead. So it's that kind of thing. I honestly am grateful they simplified it because I've never been a huge fan of fucking around with all my armor and all my stat points and all this bullshit. So I was glad to see them kind of streamline it for this game and make it more simple and straightforward. And it let me get back to the excellent combat more quickly because that's all I really wanted to do, to be honest with you. So, good shit. But overall, this game had some seriously excellent combat. And it only improved upon God of War 2018's with new abilities, new characters, new weapons, all that. And that's on top of the fact that you're fighting tons and tons of new enemies. They basically brought back all the enemies from God of War 2018 and almost every single boss and mini boss are not repeated in the game. There's only a handful of enemies that you fight multiple times uh, when it comes to ones with actual boss bars. So really good stuff there. I know that was a big complaint for a lot of people about 2018 was the combat kind of got repetitive because you were fighting similar enemies and you were uh, constantly doing boss fights against the same type of guys but this game has a lot more different bosses and there's only a few that you fight two times maybe three times if you do the side content so uh, check marks all across the board there really really good stuff there um, and honestly, I think that's about all I want to say about the combat. There's a lot more to it than all I've mentioned so far already in the last 20 minutes of the podcast. But it's a lot to explain, so I'm going to boil it down now to it's great. It's seriously so fun and fluid and, like, tightly controlled. It's just so enjoyable, and I really, really love it. And... This is probably the best combat in any video game ever. I'm going to say it. This is probably the best combat I've ever experienced in a game, which is really high praise. And it probably seems like it shouldn't get that high of praise considering it took me so long just to explain it. But it's seriously so much fun. You got to try it out. If you don't take anything else away from this podcast, go find your friend with a PlayStation and try out God of War or God of War Ragnarok's combat. It is excellent. But I think that's really all I got to say about the combat. Okay, 
so now I want to briefly get into my actual complaints about the game before we get into our conclusion and then talk about some spoilers. So, in many ways, God of War Ragnarok is essentially the God of War 2018 experience rehashed but improved in every single way. They pretty much made every aspect of God of War 2018 that I didn't like go away, and the difficulty was rebalanced in a major way that made the game far more enjoyable for me personally. I found that on normal difficulty I was dying quite a bit more, and it felt like it was actually worth going and doing all the side content that I did in order to get buffed up and prepared for the bigger fights, so no complaints there. That was probably my main complaint with God of War 2018. If I had to throw anything in there, it would probably be the fact that sometimes uh, the missions can be a little drawn out. And what I mean by that is sometimes you'll start a side quest or even sometimes a main quest and you'll kind of expect it to be a go here and it's over kind of thing, but then it turns out to be a multi-part, multi-step thing. And there was a few times in the game where I was kind of like, eh, this is taking a little longer than I would like, or this isn't quite as enjoyable as I hope it would be. A lot of that had to do with the uh, Vanaheim parts where you have to go long stretches, and there's these plants every two feet that shoot at you, and basically poison damage you and you have to knock them out before you walk into their zone of aggro otherwise they're just going to fuck you up and you can't really pass them without taking tons of damage i found them to be kind of annoying and so the longer distance treks in vanaheim turned out to be kind of tedious because of the fact that these enemy plants were so annoying and they're always way above your head and you have to like try and scan for them and find them and then try and kill them before you walk into the zone and it just would have been nice to have less of these I guess or maybe have them placed a little more creatively because it kind of just felt like it was the game slowing me down and making me scan the environment for these plants that weren't even necessarily important to the plot other than to be a hindrance pretty much every step of the way in Vanaheim. And there's a couple other things that are somewhat similar to that, but for the most part, the tedium is kept to a minimum, and I found the game to be a lot more fair about its difficulty than the first game. It, I was dying more, but it felt like when I was dying, it wasn't just immediately getting destroyed by some random enemy or, you know, walking into an area and I just immediately get swarmed by a bunch of enemies and I can't defend myself. I feel like I was dying the correct amount of times, which is different for everybody, but it also could have been the fact that I played the first game and was coming back into the second game a little more experienced, but who's to say? And my other main complaint is traversal. Traversal is something that I'm a huge fan of in video games, especially when they do stuff like gliders and 
grappling hooks and that kind of thing. And no, God of War 2018 or Ragnarok did not need gliders. I want to make that abundantly clear. But really, there's only three means of transportation. Walking, uh, grappling onto walls using your chaos blades, or riding the dog sleds and boats. And I would have loved to see some other options for traversal. Specifically, again, uh, going to Alfheim, there's this massive desert area in Alfheim, and essentially they could have done a bunch of different rideable creatures that would have been crazy and unique for Alfheim. Hell, they could have done like big ass horses that you ride around, or honestly anything. And instead they did like monster dogs that pull you on a dog sled through the sand instead of your wolves that pull you through the sand or pull you through the snow back in Midgard. So I felt like they could have been a little more creative with that, but honestly, I'm getting into the nitpicks. I'm getting into the nitty gritties here. So let's stop talking about things I didn't like because there's almost nothing. And let's start talking about the conclusion here. So in many ways, God of War Ragnarok is God of War 2018 enhanced and expanded. The story is 10 times more intense, which we're going to get into. The gameplay is 10 times more refined. Everything is upped. The ante is significantly upped from the first game, and it shows. I seriously had such a good time with God of War Ragnarok, and it's definitely going to go down as one of my favorite PlayStation games, if not one of my favorite games of all time. The only game that I can think of to compare this game to, and honestly I think this game mechanically is superior, is Red Dead Redemption 2. The story quality is on par between those two games, the acting quality is on par between those two games. I seriously love them to pieces, and God of War Ragnarok is significantly mechanically superior when it comes to gameplay and performance. It's games like God of War Ragnarok and Red Dead Redemption 2 that have such quality stories and such quality characters and voice acting that I think it's the closest a video game can get to being just an absolute artistic masterpiece and an absolute blockbuster. And I think that's the best single word to describe God of War Ragnarok. It's a blockbuster in video game form. This game dropped and everyone dropped everything they were doing and went and played it. And I absolutely highly recommend it. It's definitely a 9 out of 10 in my books, and I think that the only things holding it back are sheer nitpicks that I don't know if are even really possible to fix, because as you know, I've only ever rated one game 10 out of 10, so I'm a really harsh critic, and giving it a 9 out of 10 is probably as best of a rating as a video game could want from me for the most part, so God of War Ragnarok is a must-play. And it pairs really well with God of War 2018. So folks, you definitely have to check it out if you have a PS5. And if you have PC, it should probably eventually come to PC. So keep an eye out because it'll happen. And when it does, you need to jump on it. 
And if you don't have a PlayStation, but you do have a PC, as of right now, you can play the 2018 God of War on Steam. It regularly goes on sale for $40. Highly recommend. I've heard it's a really good PC port, so all good stuff there. But that's sort of about it, really. I think that's all I've got to say about the game without spoiling specific moments, so... I'm going to go ahead and wrap up things here, and if you want to stick around after this conclusion, I'll be getting into some spoilers and giving some of my thoughts on the plot points and the characters and that kind of thing, and kind of saying how I liked them, and I also will probably give a little insight on what I hope the next game has in store for us. So. If you're signing off now to avoid the story spoilers, thanks for listening, folks, and have yourselves a fantastic day. If you're staying on to listen to my thoughts on the story itself, here we go. Alrighty, folks, welcome to the part of the podcast where I just freak out and gush and rant about all of the excellent stuff in this game. Uh, First off, starting off with the first two hours of the game, holy shit, that was the best opening to any video game that I've ever played. God of War Ragnarok did not take a moment to introduce you to the characters again. It dropped you straight into the action. Between the dog sled race against Freya, while she's trying to kill you, and then the following scene where Odin and Thor come to your house and you have to fight Thor, I was blown away. This opening destroyed anything else that I've ever played in a video game, and it's definitely a good chunk of why I find this game to be so interesting and so unique. Honestly, the best part about the first Thor fight as well is since it's sort of treated like the tutorial boss fight, if you die, which I did because I wasn't quite clicked back into the gameplay yet, Thor literally will put his hammer on your chest and use it as a defibrillator to bring you back to life, which was insane, and I loved it so much, and it was really entertaining and fun, and it was so cool, and it was so badass, and honestly, it was just the perfect intro to the game. And then we continue on from there, and it's just boss after boss after boss after boss, and it was so fucking fun. A moment that really stuck out to me as well early on in the game is the sheer surprise I felt when it turned out that in the four, three, whatever years between the two games, uh, Atreus had been going on different adventures. And it's revealed that essentially him and Sindri were exploring the Nine Realms without Kratos' knowledge in order to try and figure out some more about uh, Atreus' backstory and why he is Loki in the Norse mythology and all the stuff that he discovers behind his father's back and is too scared to tell him was so cool and that was shortly after the fact that we literally have to fight Atreus in the opening hours of the game because it's revealed that he can shapeshift into animals which was insane and it was just crazy fighting this big ass bear and having to take it down and it was honestly a pretty decently hard boss fight 
only for it to turn out to be Atreus, and it was really emotional when Kratos realized that he'd been fighting and hurting his son, and his son had almost overpowered him. That just was basically a moment to set the tone for the entire game, because essentially, Kratos what the whole game focuses on the fact that Kratos has to accept the fact that his son is growing stronger than him and he's growing capable of protecting himself and the fact that he turned into a bear and beat Kratos's ass just shows that full force and it also shows that Atreus is still fairly reckless and still fairly untamed when it comes to his powers so good stuff all around there and the first time you get to play as Atreus, I remember being so hyped and so excited. And as soon as I saw a skill tree for Atreus, I realized, all right, we're having two different characters in this game to play as. And I thought the Atreus sections were going to kind of suck, but they actually were some of the best parts of the game in my opinion, and I really, really enjoyed them. Uh, notable moments are the whole sequence where Atreus goes to Asgard. Every moment that he spends in Asgard away from his father was just, like, really funny and, like, really telling of kind of how he still lacks the confidence of being on his own, even though he feels like he should be. And I definitely think that the best Atreus part of the game overall, though, is when he goes to uh, Jotunheim in his sleep and ends up in Ironwood. It was so neat when uh, him and Agraboda went into her grandmother's house and had to do the boss fight where they have to destroy the cauldron. It was so creative and different than anything else in the game. And it was so neat being inside of like the literal giant's house and being able to basically like uh, go under the floorboards and climb up on the counters and all that shit. As a fan of uh, the borrowers and all that, I was eating that shit up. I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. It was like playing Chibi Robo as a kid, and there's like the little fucking robot guy, and he goes around the house vacuuming and shit. Oh, I loved it so much. That was definitely one of the more interesting parts of the game, not only for the fact that Ironwood was beautiful, but also for the fact that that, that massive house segment existed. Even considering the fact that the dialogue was pretty cringy there, it was still one of the better parts in general, and very, very entertaining, so that was one of the better parts of the game for sure. Um, other things that really stand out to me, the sort of mission you go on with Freya to help her uh, remove her restraints from being able to travel between the Nine Realms and regain her full power was really awesome and it was really neat seeing Kratos kind of just decide to help out Freya because he realized that he had wronged her and it showed a different side of him that was less tactical and more caring which was really really neat to see and they fucked that fucking uh was it called a nid a nidhog they fucked that nidhog up and it was badass. And that was one of my favorite boss fights of the game because literally it's this massive dragon that rips holes in the fabric of reality and, like, tries to stab you with its tail through it. And that was such a cool fight. That probably was, like, on par with the dragon fight from the first God of War to me. I really, really enjoyed it. 
In the moments that followed where Freya kind of comes around to the idea of at least being friendly towards Kratos was really, really great. I loved the, I loved the arc that involved uh, their rekindling friendship. Even if Freya is still kind of condescending to Kratos throughout the game. Um, and one thing I did want to say too, again, this is the spoiler section, but I really appreciated the fact that she was fleshed out in her own way as a companion for Kratos. And after you finish the game, they are so interconnected and so friendly towards each other that she decides to go with Kratos and help him continue patching up and helping the people of the Nine Realms. I really, really like that. But other than those moments, I should probably get towards the ending because this podcast is starting to run well over its time, but there were many other great moments. Uh, the last couple that I wanted to mention are in Vanaheim, you explore this massive jungle area, but then at one point you end up getting taken to this other area where it's a massive crater. And it's basically just four hours of side content that you don't have to do in order to beat the game in a massive, more open zone. And I really, really liked it. This was an area where there could have been a unique traversal method to mix things up. But even disregarding that, the Vanaheim crater area and the subsequent connecting areas that are 100% unnecessary were so cool. You had to hunt multiple dragons across this area and you had to save this character that was really, really badass in the game. And there were so many little hidden secrets and areas to find and I really loved that crater area. I basically found it and had to 100% it right away because it was so cool. And there's even this like wishing well where you have to throw these chunks of amber in there and it gives you like special armor and stuff and that was so cool. I really, really enjoyed that. But the last thing I wanna talk about is uh, the final fight with Thor where Kratos basically is like, hey, we are not enemies, I'm not gonna fight you. And Thor actually came around, was really, really like sentimental or whatever. And the Odin fight was also very, very good. It felt difficult enough, and it felt massive enough to make it super enjoyable in almost every single way. And that leads me into the ending of the game. So basically, the long story short of the ending is Kratos and his son managed to defeat fate, and they're both alive and happy. Atreus reveals to Kratos that he needs to go out on his own and explore by himself and try and save the giants by himself. And Kratos basically is like, all right, son, I trust you. And Kratos finds out that he is being foretold in the prophecy to be worshipped as a god, which makes him tear up and is really sentimental. And you can tell that this is a moment that he's been waiting for for a really long time. And it really made me happy to see. Even though I'm not a super long-running fan of God of War, it was awesome to have some conclusion for Kratos. And it was really, really well-earned by him. And it was one of the better parts of the ending of the game as well. And then after that, the game's just like, oh, by the way, here's a fuck ton more bonus content for you to do, since I know you probably want more to do. And I did that, and there's 
so much. I've only scratched the surface, but I did manage to find some of the new areas that unlocked after the game wrapped. And I also really like the side content that was already there. I can definitely see myself coming back to this game more so than the previous God of War, but... The last thing I want to mention is the plot twist of the game, where one of the people you recruit to help you out is named Tyr, and he's basically the Norse mythology god of war, who was presumed dead and trapped in a dwarven prison. And it turns out all along it was Odin, your main enemy, for the duration of the entire game. But in the conclusion, after the game's wrapped and the credits have rolled, you can actually find the real tier. If you played the game and you haven't done this yet, you need to do it because it's really neat and it leaves a lot of questions for the next game. So I just wanted to throw that in the spoiler section here, but before we're done done, let's talk about what I want added to the next game based off of that information. And the very last thing that I want to cover in this God of War Ragnarok review, which has kind of gone off the rails, are ideas that I have for the sequel of the game. So I basically just want to pitch to you my idea for the next God of War game based off of the ending and some of the stuff that I did during the extra bonus content after I finish the main story. So let's get into that. Uh, starting things off, I mentioned briefly in the last segment when I was trying to rush and finish it before I had to go to work that uh, after the credits roll, you basically can explore and find some more stuff in the world that wasn't there before or wasn't accessible before. And one of those things is a prison. And basically this prison holds every single person that Odin has transformed into because it's revealed that he needs them to be alive in order to transform into them. So basically we find in this prison Tyr, the Norse god of war that had been our companion throughout most of the game and turned out to be Odin and betrayed us near the end was actually alive the whole time inside of this prison. So he was actually alive. The game basically said, even though we said Odin was, or even though we said Tyr was not alive in the first game, he's actually alive. And then it turned out that it wasn't actually him, and we're like, oh, okay, he's dead. But then they're like, no, actually, he is alive. And that's after the credits roll. So if you stop playing the game, you would never discover the fact that the real Tyr is in fact alive and I think that the reason that they included this in the after credits content is because basically if you discover this you are discovering a key hint into the sequel to this game and I think it ties back into uh, Atreus slash Loki's mission at the end of the game which is to travel to other myth mythologies, if you will, and try and find and reconnect with the spirits of the giants. Because it's revealed that even though the giants of the God of War universe were killed by Thor, 
they actually all manage to escape in a spirit form and either enter these orbs that uh, Atreus has or they went to different realms and hid as different creatures there. So really there's no telling where Atreus ends up after the credits roll. He could go to Egypt, he could go to the uh, Greek and Roman mythology, he could go to any number of other mythologies. And I think that the fact that real Tyr is still alive will be sort of Kratos' way to travel between the different realms. So, let's say Atreus is in the Egyptian mythology, uh, trying to retrieve a giant's soul. Maybe Kratos can be assisted by Tyr and go into the Egyptian mythology uh, with his help to go visit Atreus and help Atreus with his quest. I think I myself, and many others as well, seem to believe that Egypt is the next logical place for our two heroes to go because it just kind of has the next most uh, recognizability and there could be like pharaohs and all that kind of stuff and I really think that would jive well with the God of War aesthetic so I could definitely see them going there next but honestly anywhere is up to interpretation and I wouldn't put it past them either to do some sort of like multi-mythology hopping style game where you travel between multiple different mythologies and you like bring elements of one from another to another and kind of do some like crossover stuff and I could also see them going back to Olympus and having Kratos have to face more of his past in order to help his son or maybe him and his son end up rebuilding Olympus I could see that being a possibility too. keep in mind I haven't played the first three God of Wars there's lots of options, and they purposefully leave the ending of this game very open. But I do believe that it's probably fairly likely that this is the last Norse mythology game. Because as I mentioned before in my spoiler gush a second ago, uh, they really give Kratos a conclusive ending in this game. And basically, he is destined to help rebuild the nine realms of the Norse mythology and then be worshipped by the people of them. So he's kind of got this uh, bright future ahead of him and I would hate to see some uh, new lead uh, developer for a new God of War game just take that bright future away from him because God knows he's earned it. And... Uh, yeah, so it goes without saying, I don't think they would want to muck up the story too bad, so I think in a future game, Kratos would probably be more of a support role than a main character role. But, do I think that they'll do a God of War without Kratos? Probably not. Even if they do the next God of War game, and they market it as you're just playing as Atreus across the Nine Realms, I do not think they'll stick with that, and I think they'll be, like, sort of some sort of big return and they'll probably do something where like they bring Kratos back 25% of the way through the game 
and then you have Kratos segments rather than just uh, in this game how it, you were playing mostly as Kratos and then you had Atreus segments. I feel like it'll be flip-flopped and you'll be playing mostly as Atreus and then you'll switch over to Kratos occasionally. So, But that begs a huge question. What the hell are they going to do with the name God of War? Because Kratos is the God of War. Atreus is not a God of War. He is literally just... He's basically a demigod and his namesake does not mean a whole lot. Like, he's not specifically, like, he's not the god of war, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, would they change the title? Would they just keep calling it god of war, even though we're separated from god of war at that point? It's hard to say. And honestly, I feel like if I had played some of the other games, I would have a far greater insight into that. So, you know, it's, it's a little unfortunate, but I do think that they will focus on Atreus if they keep this string going because it really seems like they're trying to draw Kratos' story to an end. Unless something crazy and catastrophic changes and the Nine Realms get all fucked up again for some reason, but I really hope that's not what they do. And we know from the God of War 2018 prequel comic that Kratos has already been through Egypt and we even see that in the God of War 2018 game when they're in Tyr's vault and Tyr has some Egyptian vases and one of them has Kratos depicted on it. So clearly Kratos had some shit happen in Egypt, so perhaps an Egypt's prequel game is in our future as well. I could see them doing something like that, though that would kind of take Kratos' character development and really throw it out because we'd be going back in time before he's developed that new character and personality that he has. So I kind of hope they don't do that as well because I like the new God of War games and I've seen chunks of the old ones and I really do not think I would enjoy old Kratos as much as I like new Kratos. So I hope they find some way to do Kratos well in future God of War games. Like, I really could see them doing something where Atreus is in Egypt and he finds out his father's been there and he gets stuck because he can't defeat an enemy or he can't find some location so he has to call Kratos to come help him or he has to go back to Midgard and get Kratos to come help him out. And that's how they introduce Kratos that's pretty much the only way I can see it being possible, so we'll have to see what they do. I am genuinely really interested to see where they take this series in the future, because this is just two games, and for everyone who's played the old games, this probably seems like the end of a long-running series, but to me, this is just two games that I absolutely adored, and I've only gotten truly a taste, and I want more. So they're kind of stuck in a shitty situation here because they could end it now and old God of War fans would be happy, but new God of War fans like myself would probably be left a little disappointed and wanting more, so. But either way, folks, I think that's about going to do it for this episode of the Switched Podcast. We've officially covered God of War Ragnarok. Man, this was an interesting game to cover. This was such an interesting game to play. 
It was fun. I actually went back to my God of War 2018 podcast and listened to the vast majority of that episode to kind of base my thoughts off of those thoughts. So hopefully you folks liked that and liked that I was referencing my older thoughts and ideas a little bit more uh, because I really put some time and thought into it. So audio issues aside, I hope you folks enjoyed this episode. If you haven't played God of War yet, 2018 is out now for PS4, PS5, and PC, and Ragnarok is currently on PS4 and PS5, probably PC someday. So now's a great time to buy the first game on PC and play through it and have a blast. And then when God of War Ragnarok comes out on PC, you'll have something even better to play, so... But either way, folks, I've been your host, Hyrulean. Check me out across the net at Hyruli.net. That's H-Y-R-U-L-I dot net. And have have yourselves have yourselves a fantastic week. See you in the next episode, folks. Bye-bye.